This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. This is Women Who Travel, a podcast from Conde Nast Traveler that digs deep into the realities of traveling as a woman today and celebrates why we'll never stay home. I'm Meredith Carey, and with me is my co-host, Lalier Koglu. Hello. I'm going to apologize in advance because right now uh, we are missing our sound engineer, so we are all hearing very echoey sounds. So if we sound like a little loopy, you won't be able to hear them, but we can. So if we don't make sense sometimes, that's why. This week, we are actually recording a week and a half before this will go up on the interwebs because we are all going away. Megan, if you listen to our episode about where to go this summer, is finally taking her trip to Puerto Rico for 4th of July. You need to get closer to the mic. Oh, yeah, you need to speak like, into the mic. I haven't been on in a while. That was the least energetic, like from across the room, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even twitch. <laughs> I'm very excited. Um, but this week is basically just a fact-finding mission for me. We have Catherine LeGrave, Megan Spirell, and my lovely co-host, Lale, to talk about being an expat and living outside the country of which you are a primary citizen. And... Someday, I would like to be this. I am the only one at the table that has never done this before. So the first question I guess I have today is what made you all move to the respective countries that you moved to? Lale, why did you move to America? The U.S., because Canada counts as America, um, too. I don't know. It was all by accident, really. I had some friends that were living in New York. I spent summer here. Really, really loved it. And then made the grave era of getting a boyfriend which is the most complicated thing you could ever imagine getting I know Megan can speak to this <laughs> um, when that boyfriend is from a different country that you are so after several years of back and forth between New York and London and kind of going at long distance I moved to New York for him and I'm still here I guess it worked out we're still together <laughs> Um, Megan, you moved a few places. Yes. When I graduated from undergrad, I really, you know, like everyone had no idea what I wanted to do. It was very confused, confusing time. And I knew I wanted to live abroad and travel. And so I ended up going to Rio, in Brazil, to teach English. And then later doing a similar meet a boy and move somewhere to Lima, Peru. And then, yeah, I've like, traveled around a bit but I feel like those were my long stints they were great <laughs> Catherine how about you <laughs> again Megan with the great enthusiasm they were, 
they were, they were great. great. <laughs> um, similar to Megan, I, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do after college. I had gotten into grad school. I got into the Peace Corps, and I also decided that maybe I wanted to move to Greece and see um, what it was like to live there. My mom had lived there for a time when she was younger, and, and I grew up traveling there um, as a kid. So I chose to go there and teach English, and I lived there for two years, and it was pretty awesome. I want you to talk about one thing that we started talking about before. A spider crawled in your ear? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. This has nothing to do with this, but well, I just really want to hear the story. Oh, it, is. it happened in Greece. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it was one of my first nights... So I did this little school because I had to get certified first. And so I was in a house like with all these people and <laughs> there's no air conditioning. So I slept with the windows open and it's like an older house. And I woke up in the middle of the night. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't like where this is going. <laughs> to some rustling. Well, the first part. And then there was a cat. And so I was like, oh, <laughs> the cat was the rustling noise, right? False alarm. Went back to sleep. More rustling. I look for the cat again, but the rustling is coming from inside my oh own my, <laughs> my own head. Guys, I can't describe what it felt like. Like <laughs> I was I was like <laughs> in my room, <laughs> like gripping my head because I'm like, where is that noise coming from? Right. And oh I felt God. this <laughs> this story is too much for everybody. But then I felt like I was like, there must be something in my ear because this is what it sounded like. Okay. Imagine from inside inside your mind. It's really impossible to <laughs> It was like this. <laughs> like someone was like. <laughs> but you can't. Oh like someone's God. doing that in your ear, but it's coming from inside your brain. And so I was like, <laughs> they're going to wake up in the, in the next morning and find me with like half of my face like clawed off by tweezers because I wanted to figure out what this was. Anyway, long story short, I was like, there has to be something in there. So then I just like was turning over and I was just like trying to get whatever it was out and then yeah found a spider on the old finger oh my god part oh, of so it you retrieved it you'll oh. part of it yeah of course it was in the middle of the night i was in some tiny town in greece diy oh my god. but the noise i will never forget i was like i felt like i was in like a horror movie because i was like Whoa, what is happening you guys can't see what i'm, I'm doing but like it's just <laughs> doing the scream face yeah exactly that was me <laughs> You're like a living Daily Mail headline. <laughs> Spider in head. <laughs> All night. <laughs> but you grew up living various places, right? I did. So I was born in uh, North Dakota. Great state. Peace Garden State. I moved when I was two to Germany. And then, um, where did I move after? Third culture kid. Let me put that plug in there for one of our dear listeners. <laughs> But anyway, yes, I moved to Germany, lived there for eight years, and then I lived in Indonesia for two, Japan for nine. How old am I at this point? But yeah, I grew up overseas. I didn't really grow up in the States, and then I came back to the States for school. For college? For college, yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All those years when you were living abroad, did you feel American? If you, went, you spent most of your childhood and adolescence not living in America? Yeah, I didn't really. It's a really... It just felt very disjointing, right? Because, like, my parents are American. I have American passports. But I don't remember living in North Dakota. My first memories are from Germany. And I went to an American school, but I always lived off base. And I lived in those communities. So I, I didn't really feel American. And so it's a weird thing of coming back to the States. You know, I'd come back 
uh, every other summer to like see my relatives and stuff and just be like staring around like, wow, this is America, you know, even though I probably look like I live here or I don't know. I am American. Yeah, exactly. Sound like I'm from the Midwest, you know, and, but it was just a really strange thing. And even then when I came back for college, it was like, oh, so you're American. I was like, yeah. You know, when people ask where I'm from, there's always this really long, scary pause where I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, well, I'm American, but I grew up here. And, you know, it's, it's, it's such a big question, you know, where are you from and your nationality and how you've lived all these places shapes you. Yeah, I um, dated a guy who, he was Scottish, his parents were Scottish, but they worked as teachers on British army bases. So he lived in Germany and lived in Cyprus and had a really English accent. And it was something he really struggled with because he was like adamantly Scottish. And then when he moved back to Scotland, no one would believe him. And no one would take him seriously, even though that was like who he felt he was. So he kind of had the opposite experience of of you, Mm. but it was very interesting. It yeah. was interesting going to stay there on the little British army base in the middle of Germany that looks like Britain. It looks like suburban <laughs> England and it sells like English snacks and the shop has crisps and stuff. And then you step off it and you're in like Munchen Gladbach, Germany. That's exactly how it is where I grew up, right? You can go and on base where I would go to school. It's like you have the base exchange and I can get Lucky Charms and everything. I can get Burger King and Popeye's. Didn't your parents like bring turkeys over? Butterballs? Oh yeah. My parents, well that was, this podcast is all about me. (laughs) (laughs) Like stuff on base is cheaper for military and government employees. And my parents every year would buy butterball turkeys and bring them to the German neighbors because they really liked butterball turkeys and they're so (laughs) expensive in Germany. So they would just tie a big bow on them and bring them (laughs) around. So So Megan, how long were you in Peru for? Okay, so I spent six months in Peru, in Lima. First I went to Rio and I was there for about nine months and then I went to Lima for six and then I went back to Rio for about three. But the back and forth and confusing timelines is because visas, as I know a lot of people have also learned, are very challenging when you're trying to move to a different country and you don't have an actual connection. Like, sorry if I didn't sound enthused about my moves abroad earlier, but I like <laughs> I moved to Rio because I. I was so entranced by the culture and the country as a whole. And I just thought like I would love living there, but I had no, like didn't have family there, didn't have a job that took me there. And so, you know, you have to like balance visas and, you know, do border crossings and things like that. So yeah, I stayed as long as I could. And I think like, you know, when I was in Lima, I was there for six months, but felt like I would have loved to stay a year or two, but I could not. Well, I think that's something that comes up a lot because when we posed this question to the group to just see who fit into this category, Kelsey mentioned that she has lived abroad three times, New Zealand, Ecuador, and Spain, and each time the reason she moved back was because of visa issues because if you're not teaching English and you're not married to someone or studying or being sponsored by an American company, it's hard, understandably, to stay in in a foreign country. Well, and even then, like, I think, I mean, you know, half of us have, like, moved abroad and taught English, and even then, like, a lot of English teachers in different countries, like they're on tourist visas and they, a lot of people still don't even have it figured out. And that's the hard thing is there's a lot of people who don't have solutions or even people, you know, like mentioned in our group as well, that they, you know, a, a program will get you a visa for this amount of time, but after that you're on your own and it's still hard to get, then get sponsored or whatever. So it's like, it's a constant challenge and Lolly, I know you've dealt with it as well. I mean, I don't think anyone, anyone that I know 
who's from the US or the UK who's then gone to live abroad has fully understood actually how complex the visa processes are. And that's coming as someone from like, you know, my own immigration process was an incredibly privileged one. And it was still complicated and scary and uncertain and really, really difficult. And I was lucky that I, you know, I knew a lot of people here and I had a lot of friends and I had Chris. But a lot of people when they're going through that stuff living abroad, like they might not have that and it can be quite a lonely experience. And I remember there was a time when my green card was processing and I wasn't allowed to work. And it was in the winter and it was for about six months. And so every day Chris would go off to work and sort of, you know, his career was really kicking off and he was doing lots of exciting things. And I couldn't do any of that. And like I wasn't allowed to. And also we were broke because he was the only one that could earn any money. And I would literally just go sit in the same coffee shop every day and like piss around on the internet on my laptop or read a book because it was like too cold to walk around the city and like you think oh I'll be spontaneous and like go up to the Met. There's only so many times you can go to the fucking Met like and so I think it's a really exciting experience but at times it can actually be quite a lonely one which I think is maybe what you were trying to get at through some of those experiences. Yeah again like back to the women who travel group when we pose this like everyone's always talking about you know if you could move abroad anywhere where would you go and who has done that and who wants to and who's going to and it's like this dream that so many people who love to travel and like appreciate different cultures have but it's really challenging and it's like getting up the courage for yourself seems like the hardest part and then like oh wow that's the only thing that's in my control yeah i will say some countries are you know better for visas for americans um than others because like when i worked in greece it was a full understanding like okay I'm not going to be able to get a work visa. They just, it's too slow. The process is terrible. I remember I had been there two years and my boss like had applied and like they knew people in the government, but the process is just so terrible. And like my last week she appeared, she's like, look what we got. We got your visa. And I'm like, cool. Well, I'm leaving. (laughs) And I was lucky enough to like, obviously get back in the States and leave Europe with no black sticker because that's illegal. But some countries, you know, have better programs for it, like Japan, China, Korea. New Zealand and Australia, mm-hmm. if you're under 30, it mm-hmm. make it easy for Americans to get visas. They aren't, can't work full time from what I understand, but. On the visa note, I know someone from our group, Rachel, actually was like, please talk about how you get a visa. And I think people do all these crazy workarounds, but I think another really interesting one is if you have like grandparents from a lot of different countries, Italy does this or a lot of different countries in South America or China. I know people have done it there. Like you can apply for the citizenship and some of them are fairly easy processes. And I think that's like one interesting workaround. But yeah, a lot of other people just like wing it and try and figure it out and do whatever they can and then don't stay maybe as long as they'd like to somewhere or they, you know, fall in love. And that's the easiest visa to get is a marriage one. (laughs) Anyone who's thinking of winging it, just don't overstay. I've heard so many terrible sad stories of people who overstay which usually just results in them like never being able to go back to that place or having to do two years before going back or something like that and I think when it comes to like the Schengen visa and those sorts of things like that applies to so many more countries than the one that you're staying in Mm -hmm. so just know that overstaying is not is not your best yeah I'm not recommending that my parents also still lived in Germany Mm -hmm. so I had sort of connection there a privileged connection that I will speak to but and I'm not recommending it but I will say some countries like 
Brazil, they're very like, you can only stay six months. But if you stay an additional three months, just you have to agree to pay this amount for each day. So it's kind of like, don't overstay, but you also can pay to do it. And I did that. And then I left and I had a fine. There were no penalties. Like, just do your research, I guess. Mm-hmm. But actually talking from that about being in a privileged position, it takes me to something that I want to talk about is the word expat itself and how we feel about it. I, for one, think it's a really problematic term that um, I know gets thrown around very casually and it's very easy to just sort of use it. But I think it's, I don't know, I don't like it. I don't like that word. I think it's an unfair word. I totally agree. I mean, I felt like going back to me in Greece again, I felt that. I was like, a lot of immigrants there were, not that I was an immigrant because I wasn't moving permanently, but a lot of people that were there working, same as I was, had more visual like discrimination and I have the privilege of being a white woman, you know, from the US. So I agree. I think it's like a term that we use very casually for a certain type of people. Because I think that like you watch all those shows on HGTV and they talk about people moving to the Caribbean or they talk about people moving to these like compounds and they're like fully intending on living there for a very long time and they are always expats. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a term that doesn't get applied to everyone. And then other people are immigrants or migrants, even if they're coming to work for the same amount of time. And like, I know I definitely refer to myself as an expat when I was living abroad. And I just didn't even think about that again, because I'm we've all been saying like privileged. And I just I was like, oh, when you move abroad, you're an expat. And obviously that's not the case for everyone. And I think that's something like. I know we like talk a lot in our Facebook group about the kinds of language we use around travel. And there are just so many words that if you've like been lucky enough not to have to think about, you just use and you don't realize like the flip side of them. And I think it's important to talk about that. Like, let's stop using expat, you know, and find a different word that can be used by more people. Those living abroad. <laughs> <laughs> Which was when we were thinking about the theme of this episode. We were like, what's it like to be a person who lives abroad from your home country? Because I think that, you know, our Facebook group and, and a lot of our listeners are from all over. And I think that a lot of times being in the U.S., you look out and you're like, okay, all of the Americans who live elsewhere. And you don't even think about people like Lale or friends of mine who are doing the exact same thing but are here instead of there and they're immigrants you know or or expats yeah if you haven't gotten your green card yet and you're staying here migrant there's just just so much like bundled up with each of these terms that's the thing it's like what's just a pure word that is a person who doesn't know if those exist anymore i know (laughs) well i want to go back to something that we were all talking about before as in you were all talking about before and something that i know that lale has lots to say about so my mom moved to south africa after she graduated from college with a boyfriend who was South African and then ended up moving back to the U.S. and meeting my lovely dad. But I know that for two of you, Megan and Lale, your relationship has been a huge push for you to move one way or another. So how, as like very strong, independent women, do you feel about moving for somebody else for love? You want, you want to start? <laughs> For a love. For a, for a love. Just for one just, love. Just the one love. Well, <laughs> you know, it was never something I thought I'd do. But then I guess you don't really, when you're in your early 20s, you don't really think about much of what you're going to be doing. Or at least I didn't. But I think when it was difficult for me was what I was talking about earlier, where it felt like when I was sort of trapped in this visa process and it really felt like my own life was on hold and his was sort of galloping ahead. 
I did feel like I was giving up a lot of things. And it was temporary. And then, you know, I managed to start kicking off my own career here and, you know, really have a life independent of him here. And, you know, which is great. But during that time, it, it was really hard because I was just like, I never thought I would do this. I didn't think I would be the one that like kind of gave up. I didn't give up opportunities, but it just I, everything felt frozen in time for a while um, in a way that his life wasn't. And that was really difficult, but it's all worth it. I mean, it's like, if you know that you want to be with that person, then like, you have to be pretty sure if you're going to move away from all of your family and all of your friends to be with someone. Like, you have to be pretty sure. And now you guys are almost five years of wedded bliss. I know. (laughs) (laughs) On the flip side, so I was living in Rio and that's where I met my boyfriend who was originally from Peru, but also living in Rio at the time. And after a bit of dating, his work asked him to go back to Lima. And I was at a point where my visa was expired. I was already overstaying and like paying a fee per day that I was there. And I knew if I stayed a lot longer, I would end up having issues like coming back in. And I kind of felt like I moved to South America after graduation to do things I wouldn't do at home to have a different experience, like not to be as responsible and metered as I should be in each day. And I was like, what's the worst that happens? Like maybe I moved to Lima, maybe it doesn't work out. And I had time living in a different country and then I come back to Brazil or I go to Colombia or I go like, it definitely depends on the place you're at in your life. But I don't know, there are a lot of different ways to do it. I know when I decided to do it, it again was like a culmination of all these different factors, but something that I did to be like, I can't believe I'm moving for a guy. Here's how I'm going to mentally deal with that was I decided to take the trip from Rio to Lima by land and to do it by myself over a month, which actually is a short amount of time for that distance. But I sent all my stuff ahead and that was my thing. I was like, okay, no matter what happens, even if it all flops and fails, like at the end, I'll be like, I have that trip that I did by myself and like no one can take that. Wait, I want to hear more about that month long trip. (laughs) It was... I mean, it was amazing. I got to see a lot of small towns by crossing by land. I really love land travel. And I think being in South America, I didn't speak any Spanish at that point. When I moved to Rio, I didn't speak any Portuguese. I learned some. And then when I decided to go to Lima, I didn't speak any Spanish. And I was by myself. And it was like, you know, I was scared that it was going to be dangerous or lonely or something. And it definitely was lonely when I was in small towns. But I still felt like, yeah, I'm an independent woman. And I'm doing this by myself. And it just, it felt really good. And I still, even at the end, like I cut off one city at the end cause I was starting to feel like, oh my gosh, I've spent like 48 hour bus rides not talking to a single person. Like this is plenty, but I like still was at the end, like I did that and I can do anything now. So just picture you like talking to your bowl. <laughs> you're like, hello, feijoada. <laughs> kind of, I, you don't realize when you're in small towns and you're on long distance bus rides, you might not see someone or like yeah. use your vocal cords for so long. But <laughs> like I remember getting off one and someone spoke English to me. I was like, oh, uh, uh, oh, my voice, like I can speak. But it was great. And it helped me feel like I did something that was mine amidst it all. Sounds awesome. It was. <laughs> A little more of that Megan enthusiasm today. <laughs> so I haven't moved back. Mm. Yeah, but you're still in it. But you are in America. Why did you move back? Catherine, why are you here? Mm. Well, so I had gotten into grad school, like I mentioned, and gotten into Northwestern, and I deferred one year, which they said was cool. 
And then after a year passed in Greece and I was living that good life, I was like, ooh, grad school, huh? <laughs> ooh. And then I, <laughs> I asked if I could defer again and they said, yeah, which was really nice with them. And then at that point, I don't know, I felt like I had to make a decision because I didn't feel like teaching English was a career for me. It is for many people, um, but I didn't feel like it was. Um, I still felt like I wanted to do more with writing and editing. I made the decision at that time to come back, but uh, those were the days. <laughs> Did you live anywhere after, like in between grad school and, and real life, or was the two years in Greece was your big move to the be two, out, of the, uh, out of the country? That was out. I lived in London for three months, but it doesn't really... And London doesn't count. No, it does <laughs> not. It's the, I think it's the three months <laughs> that doesn't count for us. Oh, so Lo what counts? What counts is living abroad. Oh, yeah. No, it but does count. But then we're count. getting into like country counting territory. You know, it's like, what's the impact it had on you, right? <laughs> but I think that I, in my mind, like you have to live in a home, be it yours or someone else's, live there to live in a country, right? Like you can't just like stay for a month. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I mean, I had, I, that's true. I don't know why I was so like, that doesn't count. I guess it does. Because in part of it, it felt like an extension of school in a way. It was like a job I sort of got through school. So it felt like an extension of my Chicago life because I had a lot of friends there that also like came over. So I didn't feel like I was going into something brand new. It sort of felt like a piece of my old Chicago life. In London, I had a like different job and stuff in a different apartment, but yeah, I guess it counts. It's like doing those boring things that you never do on vacation. So it's like when you actually start doing laundry and grocery shopping regularly and like maybe a job's part of that, even though that's hard for people and like that's not al always part of it, but having like a daily routine, being there long enough where you're not traveling anymore, you're not sightseeing, you're just like living life. You're not a traveler there anymore and you're like starting to build a life, whether it's like getting a job or trying to find one or trying to become part of a community. On that note of building a life, like what advice do you have on creating a community and kind of like developing that life that you have when you, like you were saying, Megan, like don't have a connection to the place yet? Honestly, I think that when I like all my friends were moving to different cities in the U.S. for jobs after graduation and I was in Rio, like tapping into this, what I called at the time, expat community. It was almost easier because there's a small group of people who all speak the same language as you are all from a similar place and the main experience that colors every single day is shared and i have a harder time meeting people in new york like i just moved here six months ago and it's like well you could be friends with anyone like you take longer to sort of meet different people and sift through and find your people but when you're abroad it's like there are a few people that you can really connect to on that level and you meet them very quickly because you initially go to the same places you probably work similar jobs you just find each other and then from there it's like a period of getting to know people who actually live in the place and aren't part of like that foreign community but then i moved to new york which apparently <laughs> it doesn't work that way <laughs> i mean for no but like for an american living in new york like i think being in a new city in your own country there are just so many people that you could i don't know i did make a lot more of an effort here than i ever would in england that's what but, I mean. You make an effort because you're like, I'm here. I'm not going to sit at home alone when I'm having my dream life abroad. Yeah. You like go to the things that it, when you're I in went Europe. to so many things at yeah. the beginning. You're now like, this whole, I'm like, is it lame? This is cool. lazy. <laughs> but like when you're at home, you're like, that's lame. I'm not going to that. Like, I'm going to go to my best friend's house and sit yeah. at home. I don't know. Yeah, I think the moment that I really felt that I lived here was the first time where I felt like I had a friend that I could text and just be like, what are you doing? Which takes 
a while to find when you're in a new place. Well, and I think there are like groups that you can find that through. I met amazing people in my training course when I started teaching English. And even though I later realized I probably could have showed up and gotten jobs without doing that like big structured course, I met a group of people who were my friends the whole time there. And like I would never like change that experience. And I mean, you can literally type in like living abroad in Peru and all these like websites come up and Facebook groups and there's like internations is a really big one. And I joined all of them everywhere I went. And like, like Lolly was saying was like, oh, I'll go to that wine and cheese mixer <laughs> in a rec hall. Sure. And I also went on to on a lot of friend dates. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if, when you move somewhere, often you can find some weird connection through like a friend of a friend with someone that lives in that city or place or through a family member. And um, I did those a lot. And some of those people actually became friends, some I've like never seen again, but it kind of just keeps you busy and makes you feel like you're doing something and that you live there, which I think is a really good way if you've just moved to a place of like kind of getting immersed in it and getting involved. Well, and that's also one of those things like, again, if you move to a city, like in your home country, people tell you, oh, I have this friend who's there, this old coworker, and you text them, like, you know, what, 50% of the time where you're like, oh yeah, maybe sure. like when you are in a new country and someone gives you that person, you're like, I'm going to hit them up tomorrow. Like, I'm gonna, and you're like, hey, when you're free, I'm free now. I know nobody. Like, you're just so much more willing in my experience. I don't know. What about um, you, Catherine? Yeah, I agree. I mean, everything you said, I was just, I didn't really chime in because I would, I would retweet all of it. Like <laughs> friends of, uh, friends that I met in my teaching group, people that were also teachers. And then like, actually my mom's, host family her kids are my age and we grew up playing together and they lived in Athens and we would hang out and there are many more stories there but uh, <laughs> that doesn't make the that that's doesn't the, make the cut with the that's spider podcast number two Greek boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, I want to hear also that the one. Su- yeah drama <laughs> keep going no so Megan we d- I totally interrupted uh why why did you come back oh um so I was abroad for about in South America for like almost two years, over a year and a half. And when I came back that time, I still was like, oh, do I, you know, now does it like real life and I get a job here in the U.S. and stay? And I decided to keep traveling for a bit and try and work remotely for a while, which I did. And that was very fun, very different than actually like living in one place. But it was exhausting. I felt like, I, I mean, I love travel. I obviously, I mean, we all love travel here. And Something about ending it with a lot of travel made me feel tired and craving a sense of like routine and being close to family. And I think that was like a recurring theme was all my friends were back in the US and you know, they'd go do a weekend in New York together or go to Mexico or something. And I just couldn't do those things. And I felt like if you can't come back frequently, you do feel like a little disconnected. And right out of school teaching English in Rio, I was not in a financial position to come like come back for all those things. So I felt like I had to kind of live here for a bit to get back in the swing of the people I love. I mean, this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently just because I have been here for a while now, which is that after a while you start feeling out of sync with your friends' lives back home. You know, I have friends who have, you know, they've like moved in with their partner or they're getting engaged or like you know my cousin had a baby and I'm like missing out on like all this stuff um, that people that I really care about are experiencing and then also really silly stuff like you know pop culture and tv like I don't know there's this show Love Island 
it's amazing. <laughs> I can't watch the new season and everyone's going mad about it at home and I'm like not a part of that. And it sounds really stupid, but those sorts of things make you feel very far away. And then like you go home and people see you as someone that lives elsewhere. But then in New York, I'm seen as an English person that lives here. And so then you're like, all right, well, where am I? Where do I live? Where am I from? Like, who am I? <laughs> Help. <laughs> It's kind of that disjointed thing, right? Yeah. That I was talking about where you feel, you feel at home in parts in certain places, but the world sees you differently. Like, no one I know cares about England and the World Cup, and it's really here, <laughs> and it's really sad. We're well, actually doing quite well. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why, like, I think that thing where you can have less in common with someone who's from the same place, living abroad in the same place, and become better friends with with them than you would back at home because you're just this really big part of your life is shared and it's kind of like we might not have any of the same music tastes in common or hobbies or like just not even like the same kinds of people but here we share this and that matters are there any other tips you would give to somebody who's thinking about moving abroad i would say do it because literally the worst thing that can happen is that you just move back yeah if you don't like it you can just come home and yeah, I agree. And I think that this is a, a question of like, when is the perfect time? Um, and Lolly, this came up in a piece of yours about like traveling the world. And I thought the answer was was very similar to what I would say now is like, there are good times to do it, but you're never going to get this like feel of, oh, I have permission to like do this or there's going to be a perfect time. There's always going to be, in my mind, at least you guys can disagree with me, like something that might make you hesitate a bit but you can always find a reason yeah mm -hmm. yeah I agree yeah I same thing I think if you're thinking about it you should do it I remember I had like a post-it that I put on my desk when I was thinking about it and I was like it literally said just buy the ticket and I one day bought the ticket and was like oh my gosh it's just happening like it was such an emotional hurdle once I bought the ticket I was like okay I need to like find a school and I where am I going to live but it all felt exciting once I had the ticket and I was like I'm going with the same the mentality I was like if it's terrible, I can come home the next day. Like, I can do that. And when you give yourself that permission to be like, may work out, it may not, it always works out in one way or another, like in terms of becoming a learning experience. And I don't know anyone who's actually turned around and come home, but knowing you can, like, empowers people to do it. Anything else? Last tiny tidbits of wisdom? I would think about the purpose of, of why you're going. If your goal is to facilitate a lot of travel to have a job where you can be in a place where you're going to travel a lot look at the country look at its holidays like japan is not a place that you would go if you want to travel a ton because they just have very long working hours and they don't have many public holidays it's not easy to like leave i mean it is easy to leave japan but it mm -hmm. takes a while learn that about america yeah <laughs> exactly same thing i think yeah like figuring out what your needs are um I think if there are places that really appeal to you, like a handful, then you can start researching like the ways you can go. So are you interested in teaching English um, or any other native language you might have? Like, great, look at those programs. Like a lot of countries, like for English teachers, a lot of different countries in Asia will pay you to come and pay you to go home frequently and like offer really great salaries. In other places like South America, visas are harder, but people find workarounds. Like, you just have to do a ton of research. And I think the best thing you can do is find people who have moved to the places you're interested in and just like have them give you a brain dump and 
then you figure it out and you go. And talk to those people who have done the program, right? See if oh for gosh, programs, yes. or if we're talking about teaching English, or if we're talking about going and doing some other job, see if you can connect with some of those people that can do it. Because obviously the people that want to, uh, you know, that run these organizations want to get you to come and get your money. So definitely ask people who have done the programs and be super aware that there are a lot that like, like I did a program that I thought wasn't great and I met amazing people, including like best friends that I still speak to, but it was a huge ripoff and I only really spoke to the people who ran the program and they like convinced me to go. And afterward they asked if I could be on call to like speak to people who are considering it. I was like, absolutely put me down. And I like <laughs> gave everyone, everyone the spiel, which was ultimately like, yeah, I would do it, but it's, you know, do it to meet people. And like, that's kind of why you're doing it. But yeah, speak to people who have done like exactly what you are considering doing and like get the lowdown. Well, if you live abroad or you used to live abroad, um, we'd love to hear your story. So join our Facebook group, Women Who Travel. Uh, you will hear from Megan all the time if you join. Oh, all um, the time. And share your story because there are a lot of women in the group who definitely can learn from you and can share their own. Please follow everybody here to follow their travels. They're like more stationary travels. Uh, Catherine, where can people find you on the internet? I am on Twitter and Instagram at KJ LeGrave. Megan? At Spirelli, S-P-U-R-R-E-L-L-Y. So many letters. And you can find me at Lale Hanna on Instagram. I'm at Oh Hey There Mayor. You can find uh, the story Catherine was talking about earlier, Lale's story, at cntraveler.com. You can follow us on Facebook and watch our videos on YouTube at Kaya's Traveler. And then find us basically everywhere else at CN Traveler. Have a great week. From Foreign Policy, I'm Rena Nainen, the host of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women. Over the past few years, we've looked at how women around the world are changing societal norms to increase their economic power. This season, we're focusing completely on girls, how they're pushing for a brighter, more powerful future, and what the rest of us can do to set them up for success. Join us for stories about girl power, young women who are fighting for change, to give themselves a chance to live a life of their own choosing. That's season six of The Hidden Economics of Remarkable Women, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name, where every revelation brings us closer to the truth.